This is video podcast 26 from learningradiology.com, Soft Tissue Calcifications, Part 1. Hello, I'm William Herring from Albert Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia. Soft tissue calcifications have been divided into four categories, dystrophic calcification, metastatic calcification, calcinosis, and miscellaneous. Dystrophic calcifications are calcifications in previously damaged or degenerating tissue. There is usually no associated metabolic disorder. This is an example of calcification in what had been a large hematoma in the left gluteal area. Metastatic calcifications are calcifications which occur in previously normal tissue. They are frequently associated with a metabolic disorder, and despite having the name metastatic associated with them, they have nothing to do with malignancy. This is an example of calcification around the elbow in a patient with hypervitaminosis D. Calcinosis is calcification of cutaneous, subcutaneous, or deep connective tissue. There's usually no consistent metabolic disturbance, and there is an inconstant association with collagen vascular disease. This is an example of the sheet-like calcification that's usually seen with calcinosis universalis in dermatomyositis. There are three types of calcinosis, calcinosis circumscripta, calcinosis universalis, and tumoral calcinosis. In this podcast, we're going to discuss calcification related to joints, calcifications within hands, diffuse calcification and ossification, calcifications associated with vascular disease, and myositis. In the next podcast, we'll discuss calcification or ossification related to tumors, metastatic calcification, calcification associated with parasites, miscellaneous diseases, and there will be an expanded quiz after the next podcast. Calcification related to joints. Contracalcinosis is calcification of articular cartilage. In gout, the calcium is calcium urate crystals. In pseudogout, the calcification is calcium pyrophosphate. In calcium pyrophosphate deposition disease, the calcium is calcium pyrophosphate. In ochronosis, a rare disease, the calcification occurs because of a deficiency in homogentistic acid oxidase. In hyperparathyroidism, especially secondary hyperparathyroidism, there can be soft tissue calcifications, including articular cartilage. Contracalcinosis can occur in diabetics and associated with degenerative disease. Contracalcinosis is most common in the knees. It is also seen commonly in the symphysis pubis, in the hips, in the triangular fibrocartilage at the distal end of the ulna, and in the shoulders. This is an example of contracalcinosis in the knee in a patient who had warmth, swelling, and tenderness, all signs of inflammation around the knee, and who had pseudogout. You can see there is a thin curvilinear density that parallels the end of the distal femur and represents calcification in the distal femoral articular cartilage. This is a patient with calcification in the triangular fibrocartilage at the distal end of the ulna. This patient had calcium pyrophosphate deposition disease. And this is an example of calcification of the symphysis pubis. This is a commonly seen area for chondrocalcinosis and may not necessarily be associated with other diseases. 
Tumoral calcinosis in its original form is a familial polyarticular disease which occurs mostly in African Americans. It produces large, multiloculated cystic collections of calcium in or near joints. These collections are usually asymptomatic, but they may grow large enough to cause pain from nerve pressure, and they can ulcerate and become secondarily infected. Tumoral calcinosis has also become a term used in association with a form of calcification in and around joints associated with chronic renal disease. This is an example of tumoral calcinosis around the elbow. You can see that there are these large, soft, rather flocculent masses which contain calcium hydroxyapatite, phosphate, and carbonate crystals in suspension. Frequently, if a radiograph is obtained using a horizontal beam or on CT or on MRI, there may be a fluid fluid level demonstrated as the calcium crystals come out of suspension. Synovial chondromatosis represents a metaplasia of synovial connective tissue into cartilage, although it may become bone. It usually affects the knee, hip, and shoulder. It tends to be monoarticular. It can be the cause of a loose body, and it is divided frequently into a primary and a secondary form. The primary form is less common. The calcifications tend to be more uniform in size, and the adjacent joint is usually normal. The secondary form is more common. It is most frequently associated with osteoarthritis, degenerative joint disease, and the calcifications tend to be fewer in number and vary in size. This is an example of primary synovial chondromatosis. You'll see there are numerous calcifications in a ring and arc configuration that surround the knee joint. They tend to be somewhat homogeneous in size. Calcific tendinitis most commonly is seen in the shoulder, in the long head of the biceps tendon, or in the subacromial bursa. It may be associated with acute pain, swelling, and point tenderness. The mechanism is believed to be due to degeneration and inflammation of the tendon with subsequent deposition of calcium hydroxyapatite crystals. This is an example of calcific tendinitis involving the shoulder. There is a thick curvilinear calcification that parallels the humeral head in the position of the long head of the biceps tendon. Gouty tophi are deposits of monosodium urate crystals in protein, lipid, and polysaccharides. They are usually surrounded by giant cell foreign body reactions. They can occur in periarticular soft tissues where we're most used to seeing them, but also in bursae and ligaments, tendons, eye, ear, nose, throat, or skin. Visible calcification occurs in about 50% of all gouty tophi. This is an example of gouty tophi that are partially calcified involving both the right and left metatarsophalangeal joints of the great toe. You can see there are associated erosions of the first metatarsophalangeal joints and there are large soft tissue masses associated with the erosions which are slightly denser than the surrounding tissue. Calcification within hands. Calcinosis circumscripta represents cutaneous or subcutaneous calcification. It has a distinctive, sharply marginated, punctate appearance in the fingers. It is almost always associated with scleroderma, and it is associated frequently with digital tapering, acroosteolysis. This is an example of calcinosis circumscripta in the hand in a patient with scleroderma. 
The red arrows are pointing to small, punctate, very dense calcifications that are adjacent to joints. This patient has osteopenia and flexion deformities of the fingers. Diffuse calcification and ossification. Calcinosis universalis has an unknown etiology, although it is frequently associated with collagen vascular disease, especially dermatomyositis. The clinical symptoms depend on which organs are involved by the collagen vascular disease, and there is usually normal blood chemistry associated with it. Calcinosis universalis tends to look like myositis ossificans, but there is no true bone formed in calcinosis universalis. Initially, the calcification can be superficial and nodular or plaque-like, but later, the deeper tissues calcify and the calcification becomes more sheet-like and periarticular. This is an advanced example of calcinosis universalis in a patient with dermatomyositis. There are thick, sheet-like calcifications that are associated not only with the shoulders and arms, but over the thorax as well. Calcifications associated with vascular disease. Vascular calcifications include arterial calcifications, which primarily occur in the walls, and venous calcifications, which do not occur in the walls, but occur instead in thrombi, as in phleboliths, in longer thrombi, and soft tissue ossification secondary to chronic venous insufficiency. Arterial calcification occurs in the walls. Menkeberg's arteriosclerosis is a uniform wall calcification in which the media is involved. It has a railroad track appearance, and diabetics are much more prone to develop this form of arterial calcification. Intimal atherosclerosis tends to be much more discontinuous and plaque-like in its form. This is an example of the arterial type of calcification that is seen in a patient with diabetes, Menkeberg's arteriosclerosis, you can see that the calcification is uniform in appearance, and obviously you can see there's a sequela of the diabetes itself. There's been an above-the-knee amputation. This, on the other hand, is an example of the kind of discontinuous calcification, in this instance in the abdominal aorta, that is usually seen with the intimal form of atherosclerosis. Venous calcifications are usually within small thrombi, phleboliths, which have a characteristic central lucency, or within longer thrombi. This is an example of multiple phleboliths in the pelvis, and you can see that this phlebolith has a characteristic central lucency, which can frequently help differentiate it from a stone in the urinary tract. This is an example of a long calcified venous thrombus, it has a shaggy, irregular appearance, but it is linear in nature. And there can be calcification, ossification, secondary to chronic venous disease. This tends to be subcutaneous and sheet-like. It occurs mostly in postmenopausal females. It has a predilection for the calves, and pathologically, there is normal bone that is formed in a subcutaneous location. This is an example of what chronic venous insufficiency looks like in the calves. You'll notice that the calcification is diffuse, it is sheet-like, and it involves the entire calf.
Myositis, or heterotopic ossification, occurs in three forms. Myositis ossificans congenita progressiva, which is now more often called fibrodysplasia ossificans progressiva, myositis ossificans secondary to trauma, and myositis ossificans secondary to immobility, which is now more often called heterotopic ossification. Fibrodysplasia ossificans progressiva is a genetic dysplasia that is autosomal dominant. It starts usually in the neck and then moves caudally. It also moves from proximal to peripheral. It involves the back and then the whole body. Ossification occurs in connective tissue, not in muscle, which is why the name was changed from myositis to fibrodysplasia, and it does not involve inflammation, which is another reason why the name was changed. And it is almost always associated with short great toe, a short thumb, or a short middle phalanx of the fifth finger. This is an example of myositis ossificans progressiva, in which there are these large clumps of bone that are seen in this patient in the back. Heterotopic ossification, or myositis ossificans secondary to trauma, is usually localized to the site of injury. It occurs rapidly within the first four to six weeks after injury. It starts with a cloud or veil of calcium, then matures to bone. The trabeculae become evident, and the axis for heterotopic ossification secondary to trauma almost always tends to be parallel to the muscle plane that is parallel to the long axis of the bone. It is very important that the radiologist recognize heterotopic ossification secondary to trauma because if it's biopsied and sent to pathology, it may be mistaken for an osteosarcoma. This is an example of a patient who sustained trauma to the thigh two weeks before this first radiograph was obtained. On week two, the soft tissues are normal in appearance. On week six, we can begin to see a thin cloud or veil of calcification. And then on week 12, we see dense ossification, which parallels the long axis of the bone. Heterotopic ossification secondary to immobility, the cause is not known. It occurs in patients who are paralyzed, sometimes in burn victims who are immobile. It tends to occur around large joints like the hips, shoulders, and knees. And a bone scan is a much more sensitive means of both diagnosing the heterotopic ossification and for dating its maturity in the event that it will be removed surgically. This is a patient who is quadriplegic as a result of a swimming pool accident. And you can see in both axillae, there are dense areas of ossification which represent the heterotopic ossification of paralysis. Here is your mini quiz. You can pause your computer or MP3 player. This is a 43-year-old with shoulder pain. What do you think the diagnosis is? Well, this person has both calcific tendonitis and calcific bursitis. The calcific bursitis resides just below the acromion process, and the calcific tendonitis is adjacent to the greater tuberosity. Here's a patient, 46 years old, with weakness in the limbs. You're looking at both the right and left upper arm. 
What's your diagnosis? Will this lacy reticular pattern in both upper arms represents calcinosis universalis in a patient with dermatomyositis? As time goes on, this will become denser and more sheet-like. And here's a 68-year-old with wrist pain. What is your diagnosis? Well, there is calcification surrounding the distal ulna in the triangular fibrocartilage. This represents chondrocalcinosis secondary to calcium pyrophosphate deposition disease, CPPD arthropathy.